Well, that's glorious, isn't it? No power. No power in heaven and earth that can pluck us from the hand of the shepherd which has taken us in. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and ask you to once again meet us by your spirit. Father, we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we're coming tonight and asking you to take your word, open our eyes, enable us to understand, to see the Lord high and lifted up and seeing him embrace him, trust him, find that path of life. And we're coming to trust you for that. We look to you for it. We thank you for what you will do and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Think about the life of faith. We're taking that, uh, first of all, from the passage that Paul says in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll quote it from the King James since I don't have it open here. It says that, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Tremendous verse. Now, what we're trying to do, particularly in these winter sessions, is to think about what that means. How can we walk the same way he walked? How can we experience the life that he experienced? Because it's available to us. And so I'm going to just review just quickly. This has been, it's a topical study. We're going through that matter of what that life looks like. And we've said certain things about it. Let's remind ourselves. One feature about that is this, that that entire life, life is the issue. And that entire life is given to us. The potential for it is given to us in one person because of his actions. And that's Jesus Christ. So that all of that life is focused on him. That's what Paul says, that I live by faith in the Son of God. That counts at every point of my life. We thought last week about how that's actually appropriated. How does that become real in us? How are we to walk? And we we went over that verse in Colossians where he speaks about the relationship between the way we started this life and the way we continue this life. And he says that as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, as that's the way you did it at the beginning, keep on walking that way. There was a decisive action in which a person becomes a Christian when they come realizing their guilt before God and understanding that on a cross, Jesus Christ paid a price in order to remove the guilt of that. And they come to him realizing that they have to entrust themselves to him, let him save them. Those three steps we said last week, and I wanted to just remind you of this, that first of all, there was a recognition of a need. Everybody's testimony, you could give a true testimony, will tell you somewhere along the line they are alerted to the fact that they had a need before God to be holy. And they didn't have the capacity to match that. The second thing that they realized is that Jesus Christ did a work to meet the need they could not meet. The third thing they did then was to grab it by faith. They took hold of it, and they entrusted themselves to the Lord. Now, what Paul said, or you know, Paul says in Colossians, there is that's how you started, and there's no change the rest of the way, no change in the pattern. You are going to recognize the need. This is the way life will go. You'll recognize the need. You're secondly going to find out that Jesus Christ, in His person and work, has answered that need. 
and then you are going to entrust yourself to him. You are going to believe. Now, it is important to know that at the very beginning, in that first act, it is just entrusting yourself. There is nothing to do whatsoever. You just commit yourself to him. You ask him to save you. We'll say that the in the course of living this out, there are acts of faith that he's going to call us to. The faith is going to be exercised in particular things that we do. They don't earn us anything. They simply enable us to take hold of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So it is in, appears differently, but it's not different because it's still, I have a need. The only answer to that need is what the Lord's done for me. And then thirdly, I've got to take hold of it the way he tells me to take hold of it. Now, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we finish out this series, there's five weeks remaining, counting tonight. And in those five weeks, I want to focus on different particular areas that tend to be critical in our experience in that salvation. All right? So different areas, places where we have need. Now, I think if I ask people, they would immediately, the, the need that comes up first in our minds is that need to be delivered from the sin problem that I have. Most people, that's the direction they want to go. But that's really not your first problem. Now, again, there's no order to all this. It's not like ABC, one, two, three. But the first practical problem that comes up in our experience is the need to overcome fear. Overcome fear. So that's what the, on the front of your paper there. That's the first need we're going to address. This need concerning fear. We are all afraid. Now, again, I know that that runs into problems and people say, well, they, just because you, you're, you're, you're the kind of person who gets afraid. And that's true. I, I, I admit that. I'm telling you. They're on the scale. I'm way over here. All right. I was born nervous. I've been nervous ever since. All right. I had anxiety problems when I was five years old. And they, so, again, that's just the way it is. All right. So, but you're not delivered over here. If you're on the other end of this, the Bible tells you, first of all, that every person on the, in the human race has a problem with fear. It's in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, as the writer is explaining the great victory that Jesus has won on our behalf, and he defeats the devil, and he says, who, through fear of death, he, he, he delivers those, he delivers the ones that were under the devil, who, through fear of death, were held in bondage all of their lives. The thought there is that because there is this looming fear, this concern that life is going to end, and we all know it, it robs us of the opportunity to ever experience, outside of Christ, what God intended when he created a human being. And it's there. It pulls. Now, that can sometimes be expressed in, in don't want to talk about death type of fear. It can be expressed in reckless living. That reckless attempt to get all we can out of life before we get to the end. The extreme end of the bucket list sort of thing. I've got to do this, got to do this, but it's still the fear of death because it's hanging and we have no real control over it. Now, when you came to Christ, all right, he dealt with that first great problem. If you know justification, you should know deliverance from the fear of death. 
Now, you may still have a concern, I'll just be honest, with the experience of death, right? Um, that may not be the most pleasant thought to you. But the fear of being dead doesn't should be gone. Because that relationship, which is ours is through justification, assures us of the fact that when we pass from this life to that life, we will be joyously in the presence of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Right? But even though that part is taken care of, there is still a remnant, remnant fear problem that we have to deal with. Why is that? Because... Between the time that we are converted, and this takes place, we said, and that glorification takes place out here, when we're with him and then there's no more things to make us afraid, we have to live our life in, on an earth, which is a very dangerous place and which we have no control over. It's both dangerous and we really don't have any control over it. All right? The last few years, again, have demonstrated that to us dramatically. All right? During the last few years, this world, I mean, it's a worldwide problem, panicked, became terribly fearful. Uh, people angry at each other, barking at each other because they were afraid. Why are they afraid? Because an invisible disease, one that's invisible to us, is spreading through or spread through the, the world. And the possibility of death scared people. I mean, there, I don't have to describe that to you because we don't have a lot of time here. At the same time, other things took place. An economy got out of control. And there's a whole lot of people out there who, again, because you have to pay your bills, right? And when you have to pay your bills, and the amount of money you have is decreasing every you know, 8% inflation, that's pretty quick uh, diminishing, uh, diminishing of your resources. What happens? Fear takes place. During this time, there's been political unrest. You see, and you have no control over the economy. You have no control over COVID. You have no control over climate change. You have no control over the government. You have no control over social change, right? It's all happening. And we have to live in the middle of it. And if crime increases, well, that's another problem. There are tons of problems. We have to live right through all this. You have plenty of things all around you. It's a dangerous world, and you're out of control of it. And, and we need to face that because sometimes we pretend that we're in control. But even in the places where we're kind of in control, we're not in control. Now, there are different interpretations of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I believe that the man was actually trying to describe where you get if you try to seek for wisdom without looking to God. Now, not everybody agrees with that. I realize that there's different opinion on that. It's the only way I can understand that book. But at least in there he tells you this, that there is no way to know what to do on this earth. You can't know because the uncertainty of death just robs you of the opportunity to decide what to do. How should you live your life? Should you live it for today or should you make plans for tomorrow? Well, there was a man that Jesus talked about. He calls him a fool, right? He, he says this about him. He says he spent all of his time making sure that he had his nest padded for the future. And when he got it padded, he had it really padded. Now I can sit back and I can put my feet up and relax and I can enjoy life. Only one problem. The night that he put his feet up, it was the last time he put his feet up. The Lord calls him a fool. 
He calls him a fool. Does that mean we shouldn't prepare for the future? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's kind of a catch-22, isn't it? Either if you don't prepare and you do live, then you suffer for that. If you do prepare and you don't live, then you did it for nothing. And that's why the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, has that, that sense. It starts off with this thing, emptiness, emptiness. It's all empty. Striving after the wind, trying to come up with a, a conclusion. Now, again, other people look at it different ways, but the point is this that we cannot control the world around us. And that's going to cause concern because you have to live here, but you can't control it. But even inside the realm that you can control, you run into problems, right? Okay, you can't control the whole world, but you can eat the right things, right? But you can eat the right things. This is back to Ecclesiastes. And you go out there and somebody crosses the median. He wasn't paying attention and he smashes you. And so you're a healthy corpse. <laughs> right? I know we've got to be a little bit light on the whole thing, you know. It just, but it's, it's the brutality and the reality that, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. You see, even in the places where I have control, I don't really have control, right? That's why people are concerned about job security. Because, yeah, you got the job. You're doing the job. But your job could disappear tomorrow. Um, you could own your home, but things go wrong and the home is no good. That Everything falls apart. There. Even in the places where we control, you can have your family, you can do all the right things, and you still have family problems. And we know it's out there. You can read it every day on the thing that you can have a desire to have a perfect marriage and go out this way, and it just falls apart. You can't even control the little things, let alone the massive things, and you have to live in this. If you're going to experience real life, the life that God has for you, you have to have peace in the middle of all that. Get the peace in it. <laughs> now, that's a trick, isn't it? With all of the things that could go wrong and the fact that you are losing ground every day against age. But God says you can. The Lord says you can. And that's where we get to who the Lord is. Do, do not fear, all right? I mean, just it's at the very bottom of the page. I want to uh, point that out. It says, do not fear is a common command. I'm told. I have never counted it up. I have not made the comparisons. I have no idea of knowing whether they're accurate or not. But I'll tell you what, having read through the Bible a lot of times, I'm suspicious they're accurate on this, that it's the most common command of the Word of God. And it's not only given... To men who are cowards. Moses was told not to be afraid. Joshua, the man who stood in front of the crowd, a, a, a panicking crowd, ready to be stoned. He was told later on, don't be afraid. Be strong, very courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. David was told not to be afraid, not be dismayed. He told his son not to be afraid and don't be dismayed. Paul tells Timothy not to be afraid. It's just all kinds of good people were told not to be afraid. Why? Because it is a real pressure that we have to face. We have to do something about it. We can't just make up our mind to somehow get past all the threats that are around us. What are we going to do about that? Well, if we follow our pattern, what's it got to be? The Lord has to be something to us, right? You're not the answer. And on this one, 
for sure we're not the answer, right? But there is an answer which enables us to live in peace. Now, what's that? Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. And we say the Lord here, we're saying this. He has the sovereign power over everything, and he has demonstrated it to us. Because the first thing we have to know is our need. What's the second? We have to have a revelation of who Jesus is. And he is Lord. Now, there are different ways we could look at that. But I want to think tonight particularly about how he was demonstrated to be Lord in the Gospels. Now, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I just wanted to just you pray for me as I go through here because I, I have so many things in my mind. I'm going like, I have to get, I have to say this and get past it. So I know I'm saying this rather rapidly. I'm just giving you hints of things that you can look at. But think about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was on this earth. He was Lord on this earth. He looks like just a man, right? Just walking around, just, just a regular man. But let's think of some of the ways in which we find out that he was in complete control of what was going on. Remember the little boat incident, right? They're out in the boat. Jesus is tired, he's asleep, and the boat's in the middle of a storm. He got up, and what did he do? Oh, hush, be still. <laughs> now, sometimes I think we think of that as a fairy tale type of story. That's a real this is, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who he was. And the disciples went, hmm, hmm, hmm. He had absolute control over the animal world. There was one morning where the, uh, Peter was fishing. <laughs> we fished all night, Lord. Now go out there. Now put it on that side. Okay, we'll put it on that side. And boom, here comes the fishing. And their nets were breaking. Right? Their nets were breaking. Remember Peter's response to that. You need to get out of my... I need to get out of your way. I'm a sinful man. Right? Who is this? That's the one before. Who is this that commands even the winds and waves and they obey him? That's important because he's Lord, right? Jesus Christ is Lord. That means he's in control of everything. Um, there was no sickness that anybody ever brought to him that he wasn't able to with a word, command healing. Right? It's amazing how many people would like to have that. It's not there so that we can have It's there so that we can know that he has that power. He has complete control over the physical circumstances of people. And on numerous occasions, I will say numerous occasions, on three different occasions, there were people that were dead. And he spoke to them and... They were alive again. And one of them had been dead for four days. Four days. That's a long time to be dead. And yet when he stood at the mouth of that grave and says, Lazarus, come out of there. That guy came out. He obeyed him. <laughs> he was a corpse. But he comes to life. Why does he come to life? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. There were demonic powers that knew that Jesus was doing something and were trying to thwart his activities. And they, they manifest themselves in front of him and all the rest of it. And every time Jesus faced those demonic powers, he, he dealt with them decisively because he was 
Lord. And he is Lord. He's king over all of that. Um, We'll go to another area. Jesus Christ was Lord over the political world. It is a very interesting one. We kind of miss this one. There's one time he's he's on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, God comes to him and says, you know, Herod wants to kill you. And he says, go tell that fox. (laughs) I love that part. Go tell the fox that I've got a job to do. I'm going to paraphrase it, that I've got a job to do, and it's going to get done. Herod or no Herod. It's very interesting. Another interesting one, again, this might not have ever hit you, but on the night he was betrayed, he's in the garden, all right? He's in the garden. Judas comes up. There is a, a guard with them. And as they're arresting Jesus, Peter does a foolhardy thing. He pulls out a sword and starts swinging it. And he manages to cut off a person's ear. All right? Not a really bright thing to do when people are being arrested. Right? They didn't arrest. Why didn't they arrest him? They didn't arrest him because Jesus said, you're after me. Let these go. That can be understood two ways. You let them go. He's in control even there. Why didn't they arrest all the disciples? Right, again, that's my own opinion of there. Okay, he doesn't say that. He, you know, at the, at, the, at the Last Supper when he's out there and Judas is going to betray him, it is interesting. There's different things. Jesus is making an appeal to, uh, to Judas to repent on one side, but when it's finally settled, it is Jesus that tells him, you go and do what you're going to do. Whatever, what you're going to do, get it done right now. See, it's still command. Jesus was not, this was happening the way he had determined it would happen. Even at the most, at those hours in which it looks like he is completely overwhelmed, he is still absolutely in control. Now, we need to understand that today. All right? I want to say one last thing. He was absolutely in control of himself, too. I have to admit that one of the more overwhelming passages to me in the whole Word of God is Jesus' address to his disciples in John. It starts off, it's in chapter 13, we're told about it, and it says this, that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them right to the very last. He is only 12 hours away from the crucifixion, and he knows it. And yet in that hour, he is completely devoted to comforting that group of men. I find that totally amazing. That a man could have the kind of peace that was necessary to be facing not only the crucifixion, but all of the spiritual conflict that will go with that crucifixion in accomplishing our salvation in just a few hours, and at that moment be completely composed and completely in a place where he is ministering to those men. He finishes it with a word which, uh, again, I'll refer to in just a moment, but it it finishes with a, a great statement. I'm telling you these things so that, and he's already told them that the hour's coming when you're going to be scattered and you're all going to leave me. I'll be left alone, but don't worry about it. I'm not alone. I'm with my father. It's okay. But he says, I'm telling you these things so that in me 
you can have peace. In me, you can have peace. That's, I mean, that's a concern he has. This is very important to our, our consideration tonight. He's still ministering to them because unless he's at peace, he can't meet their need. Because if his concern is wrapped up with tomorrow morning and what's going to happen tomorrow morning, his mind is going to be so distracted that he won't be able to think about what their need is. And his need is way bigger than their need at that particular moment. But the nature of the Lord was to meet their need. In me, you'll have peace. And we have this tremendous verse. It's, it's a powerful verse because Jesus Christ is Lord. He says this, In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Tribulation, there's a strong word for a real problem. <laughs> there's going to be real problems. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. I love the way um, Leon Morris in his commentary puts it. Cheer up. I mean, this is, this is the end of this with cross right ahead of him. Cheer up. I have decisively and forever defeated the world. I have overcome the world. And that overcome means I have beaten it. I am in control of it, and it's never going to slip out of my control. I have decisively won. It's a tremendous passage. Now, we could have used that to keep on going tonight, but see what the point, the issue is: is Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what does that mean to us? Right? What does that mean to us? Well, he tells us this, and when you came to Jesus at the beginning and you entrusted your life to Him. He took it. How about that? <laughs> we have a hard time believing that, right? He took it. That you are tonight, if you have come and you, you came to Jesus and you said, I, I want you to take my life. I want you to justify it. I want you to deal with this sin. At the same time, he brought you to himself. He took that life. And it belongs to him now. All right? It belongs to him. Do you believe that? Okay, you belong to him. But that means he personally is now interested in your experience. He's personally involved with your experience. Right to the end. We're going to get to a passage in just a minute. Right? Remember when he was talking about his, his sheep? Right? You became one of his sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my name. I know them. They know me. I'm going to give to them eternal life. And he says this about them. And nobody, nobody can snatch them from me. But he doesn't just put it that way. Here's what he says. And nobody can get them out of my hand. I have them in my hand. And nobody is going to take them out of my hand. And I've put my hand in the Father's hand. And nobody is going to get them out of that place. And that's tremendous. Because it's not only that Jesus is Lord and that he will in the end save you. It is the fact that right now you are the object of his attention. You are a sheep in his fold. He knows you by name. Yes, you through the word, you can hear his voice. But he hears your voice directly. That's very important for what we're talking about. Because the issue is what the need is. The problem we have with fear. And what do we know, need to know about Jesus Christ? He is Lord. And when I came to him, he became my Lord. Not just in the sense that I will follow him, 
but the lordship that he has over everything became a benefit to me so that my life is no longer in the, in the swirl of uncertainty that this world is. It is now perfectly encased in God's hands. And you are safe to the very last day. That does not mean that you won't have troubles. Remember what he said? In this world, you're going to have bumps and bruises. Lots of them. All right? Through Menton, Paul says it later on. Through a lot of tribulation, we have to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot of bumps along the way. But, what's he say? Cheer up. Head up. Be a good cheer. I've beaten it. And you're completely safe. What do we have to do about that? What's the act of faith? Now, here, here's a place where I struggled all week, right? Because you have to expound some passage. You have to, you know, have to show you that this is in the Word of God. But this is in so many places. Where do you go? Which one do you take? Do you take the Lord's, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23? It tells the same truth. Do you take, Mr. Carroll's, if you haven't ever read, if you haven't ever heard his message on Isaiah 9, 6, you ought to go get it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, right? And his name will be. All right, yeah, the government's on his shoulders. All right, so same thought. All right, we could go to um, numerous Old Testament passages. We could go to New Testament. We could just expound that one. That Take courage, I've overcome the world. In this world, I want, I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace in me, not in the world. In me, you want you to have peace. We could go to a place in, in the book of um, Hebrews where it talks about the fact that he has said, you, you can be free from certain things because he has said, I will never leave you. I will never, ever, ever let you down. I not only am going to be with you, I am going to be with you actively with you. I'm not going to just sit there and watch what happens to you. I am going to be a shield around you. Isn't that tremendous? That's, that is tremendous, right? But we're going we're gonna to go to one passage. I'm going to this one because it's, uh, for me, in my nervous nature, one of the most n- difficult passages in the New Testament. So let's go to the hard one. <laughs> you know, that's, that was Mr. Carroll's advice to us through, the, through Rutherford. That, Preach what you most smartingly feel. All right, well, let's, let's go at it. This is a hard passage. <laughs> but it's a tremendous passage. Because it tells us where life can be, because Jesus Christ is Lord. All right? Now, this is where we have to keep going quickly. I have to, the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be in Philippians. That's what you can see on there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. All right? That's where we're going to be commonly known passage, well-known passage. This is, it should be, should be sort of bedrock passage to us. But let's, let's put it in the context here. The book of Philippians takes about 15 minutes to read out loud. You're about 12 minutes into it when you get to this passage. All right? I mean, we're not talking about, I mean, I'm going to talk for a while, but hey. He, and that's the way it would have come to you. You would have heard it. And so what's happening in the first chapter is only a few minutes ago. And so all these things which we study when we study these books, so we move them out week after week after week, all, here they are, together. What did he say? What is the thought of the book of um, Philippians? That's important because 
he starts off with this, finally, finally, this is the end. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Do this as a result of everything that I've said. Finally. Okay. The book is, uh, let's go, I'm just going to make it real quick, and I'm, I apologize for the speed here, but anyway, we have to at least see the picture of what's going on. All right. The book is a thank you note. It's a thank you note to a, letter, uh, to a group of people who have a church he established which has stood with him, and he's thankful for that. There's problems in the church, but the, he's can, he just has received this thank you note, and he wants to give them thanks. He's in prison at the time, and uh, he doesn't know when he's going to get out of that prison. That's an embarrassment to the church in one sense because, I mean, when your leader is in prison, it's, really, it's never been a particularly um, prestigious situation all right so he's in prison but he's he's going to say that that imprisonment don't worry about my imprisonment my imprisonment doesn't matter it's the purpose of god he prays for them and he says this in the prayer his prayer for this group of people and in all of his prison epistles he prays and in this prison epistle he says this that your love might abound more and more that's what he wants for them now, he's not just talking that they might have a feeling towards one another. He's talking about practical love. I want to see active love coming out of you. That is, you blessing other people. That's very important to our, our thought tonight. Right? You're blessing other people. Because if you're going to live the real life, then we said last week, it finally has to issue in you blessing people. If you're not blessing somebody else, if your life doesn't mean something to the improvement of other people in their spiritual walk, then you're not really experiencing life. So he wants them to to understand that. Then he goes on to say, now don't worry about me in prison because it doesn't matter what happens to me. In the famous verse, for me to live is what? It's Christ. That's what he tells us and that's why we're doing this study. And to die, that's gain. I would really rather die. How about that one? That's the opposite of the fear of death. But that's not under my jurisdiction. <laughs> that's under the Lord's jurisdiction. And if he wants me here to work, then I'll I mean, when you're in prison, who wouldn't want to be out of that in heaven? But he doesn't, he's not going to go that direction, all right? Then after he says that, he addresses the issue in the church, which is a little bit of conflict in the, issue in the church. And he says, the reason that you're having that conflict is because you don't have the right mindset. And he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he talks about laying down your life, that's what the Lord did, so that others could have life. He left heaven. He came to this earth. And he did that so that people who were his enemies might be made into his friends. He says, now let that mind be in you to minister to others. I forgot to say one thing. He, said, he did say already before that tribulation is going to be out there. You're going to run into persecution. Right? After he talks about that, he says, now you're lights in the, in the midst of the world. But as lights, you're, also going to, you're still going to meet opposition in all this. Right? He goes to chapter 3, and he talks about Timothy and his wholehearted devotion to those people, how he was able to serve those people. Not everybody, he says, is able to do this because some can't get out of this, this world. They can't, they can't lift above it. But Timothy is in a place where his, he has a carelessness about himself, which enables him to embrace your care, to, to be yours, because he's not trapped by his own, his own purpose, right? which will lead him on to discussing the fact that he, laid him, he, Paul, laid everything down so that he might know Christ. 
says, I've suffered the loss of everything. I gave up on everything. <laughs> everything I was living for as a Pharisee was worthless. And I let it all go. All the prestige. All the honor that went with that. I let it go. Because I wanted to know Jesus Christ. And he says, that, when I, that I might know him. And he says, and this is very brief, but that I might know him. But I want you to see what else it says. And I might know him. The power of his resurrection... That's strength to live. That's that in Paul's theology. That's strength to live. And the fellowship of his sufferings, and the fellowship of his sufferings is to enter in with him to what he suffers in order that people might know. Because remember in chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who came to this earth to suffer death so that people might live. Paul says, I want to know him. I want to embrace his heart. I want to know him in such a way that the power of his life can make me what he, I ought to be and the power of his suffering. Might, I might participate in that so that people will be blessed. That has to be in the context of what he's talking about. Okay. And then he says there's false teachers. He said, but we, they're, they're out there. Don't listen to them. He says, but we're the true ones. We're, we're the real ones. The glory in Christ Jesus. And we're looking at we have we're not part of this kingdom, we're part of the eternal kingdom. All right? And we are waiting eagerly for his return. That's where we're at. That's where that brings us up to then he mentions a little bit at the chap, beginning of chapter four. About some needs. Okay, get, somebody help these ladies. They're having trouble. Okay. He's not only telling them to straighten up. He's telling the church to minister. I want your love to abound more and more. Somebody help them to get along. Do, do what you guys move in on their behalf and help them out. Okay, that's where he was. He just finishes that, and then we have the passage. I want to read it. We know it, I think, but let me read it so that we can have it clear in front of us. All right, we need to go rapidly here. Okay, except that's not the right passage. Okay, here we go. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice. In the Lord always. This is where he's going to finish it up. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Right? Rejoice in the Lord. Now, let me say that one more time. This is the third time he said it. He said that earlier in the book. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, what did we say a few weeks ago? This is so important to us. This is one of the beginnings of the Christian life. That's what Hanley Mole said. I think it was Hanley Mole. But Hanley Mole said was the first order of business in the Christian life. Not the most important thing, but the first thing you do is rejoice in him. What's that mean? It's not just jumping up and down saying cheer for Jesus sort of thing. It is remembering who he is and letting the truth of who he is dominate your thinking to the point where the response, which is what you have to a good thing, comes out. Joy comes out when you're exposed to a good thing. Well, rejoice in who he is. Now, there are many things we could say here, but what have we said tonight? The thing that we're going to rejoice in and we're going to think about with regards to this passage, what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lord of all. He is unopposed, or let's say unchallenged. Again, there's a challenge of the devil, but it's, it's completely worthless. He dealt with the devil when he came particularly to, to tempt him. And he, 
cast him out because he is Lord. He is sovereign king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's that tonight. He's pictured in the word of God as being in his lordship at the right hand of his father, seated there. Not disturbed, but seated. But on the other hand, as Lord, he is vitally involved with us because his ministry that he's described as having is a ministry in which he is every moment pouring out his heart to the Father for the people he that have committed themselves to him that he's determined to save. That's you. That's me right now. Praise God for those who have gotten past all this and they're in heaven. They don't need those intercessions, I don't think, anymore. But we need them, don't we? We have a few enemies. All right, just think about the book of Philippians. Think about some of the people that are mentioned out there. There are false teachers out there. There are, there are people who profess to be serving the Lord who are doing it for the wrong motives, and you're going to run into them. There are brethren inside the church that you don't get along with. There are people in this world that hate what you're doing, and they're not going to be passive about it. They're not just going to say they're stupid. They're going to actively oppose you. All right? And in the middle of all that, we can keep on going with the false teachers and the insufficient people and all the rest of it. What do we also have? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King. He's the King. And he says right at the beginning, here's the first thing. And we're thinking about this matter of dealing with the fear and coming to the place of peace so that we can minister to other people. And the first step of that is rejoice in that. Remember it so. That, that means you have to actively think about who he is, what he has done, what he is tonight, and then rejoice in it. Okay? And then what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, this... I'm counting them on the outline as outworkings of the rejoicing, but here's the list of things that I do by faith because he's there. He says, first of all, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, he's talking about peace here, right? Um, I have to, again, I will confess this. I can hardly watch the news. I just can hardly do it. <laughs> so if I'm going to let my gentle spirit be known to all men, then I just don't need to know all that. <laughs> so that's the way I kind of look at it. I don't want to listen to those guys. I don't want people who hate Jesus to have... I don't want to, I want to know, know what... I don't want the... I just don't want to think about that. Okay, now, I don't have to think about that because that's in the passage here. But here's the, the thought. If I meet him, here's what he says. I have to have the control because I'm in faith that Jesus is Lord. And no matter how idiotic or how abrasive or how cruel that person is, he says, let your gentle spirit. This is a quite a command. I'm telling you, this one hits me hard. It's raised in a world where, again, this was just, again, everybody poses it today, where where it was a responsibility if you were a man to defend yourself. If somebody hit you, you hit them back. You had to. <laughs> Even if you're going to get beat up, you have to do it because it's just, just what men do, you know. So you get yourself killed. So I have a very, because I wasn't a very good fighter, I had, I had my ways and means. 
people that opposed me, I opposed them. I did. I just did. I tried to keep a smile on my face that I get you back. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Turn around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I just, it just. But the point is this. He says, this, no matter who those people are, let your forbearing spirit be known to them. In the book, you see a couple of them. I just would say one case particularly. He said, Paul's in prison. He says, out there are men who, who are encouraged by my imprisonment and say, I'm going to stand with Paul in this. And then there's others that say, ha, Paul's in prison. We're free. We're the good guys. And we'll prove that we're better than Paul. He says, some are doing it out of honest motivation. Some are doing it out of dishonest motivation. Here's the gentle spirit. Who cares? Who cares? Christ is being proclaimed, and I'll rejoice in that. All right? I'll rejoice in that. He says, let that be to all men. Okay, but that's not where we want to, we don't want to spend too long on that. He says, but this is a peaceful approach. In this day of hatred and antagonism, of hurt, of offense, we desperately need to be what the Lord told us to be, to let gentle spirit be known to all men. Okay. And he says this, the Lord's at hand. Um, that could mean two things. Let me just be honest. It could mean that the Lord's right beside us. That's biblically accurate because he said the Lord would never leave us or forsake us so that the Lord being close to us, near, is a biblically accurate thought. In the context of the book, however, in just a chapter, just a minute before this, he said we are those that are anxiously anticipating the return of of the Lord. All right, we're anxiously anticipating that and it seems that it's better to understand the Lord is near. Uh, you can be patient with what's going on. The kingdom's coming and it's almost here. It's almost here. <laughs> Just count on that that the Lord's arrival is close. All right. You think about that. It's a, it's, a, it's a great thought. Now, that's not, Paul isn't saying it's going to come. He's not predicting a, a time or anything here. He's just saying the mentality which enables me to love, to be what I ought to be, and to be at peace in this, is that at any moment it could happen. The Lord's right at the door, and he is right at the door. When will the moment come? I don't know. I don't know. But I can be at peace on that one. Okay, now, baby, this is all the pieces. But the next one is the part we want to get at. All right, because it has to do directly with this problem of fear. It says, be anxious for nothing. That might be the hardest command that I know of in the Bible for me. And I, I go to it because it tells us the degree to which we should be separated from fear. See, when you say fear not, okay, I, we can think of that in terms of panic or being overwhelmed or being, you know, over, just controlled by this thing. But this word is very soft. This is soft fear, all right? Not hardcore fear, all right? This isn't the panic attack. This is that gnawing concern that eats away at our soul, that distracts us from what's going on right now. Not by overwhelming us where we shake in our boots, but we just are occupied with things which are out of our control. The word actually can be translated or can be used at times in a positive way. 
it can be used, and it is used in the New Testament at times for the concern that a pastor type of person has for the sheep that he has to take care of. And he sees them in trouble, and he is concerned about them. And there it's a positive thing. It is a thought that he is doing his job. He is, he is fulfilling his duty. And in the fulfillment of that duty, he's not distracted. He is actually drawn into the path that God has for him by that concern. Okay? But when it's generally used with regard to our experience, it has a negative connotation. It speaks about all those things which get on your mind that distract you, that pull you out of the present that pull you out of right now and, the, and distract you from the people who are around you. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, right, as he said, can deal with the disciples because he didn't have any anxiety. He has terrible things that are going to have to happen before he's finished with his work. But he's not anxious. It's in the Father's hands. He can take it a step at a time. Now, the problem of fear, again, I want to say, is going to come up in, it's, it's going to keep coming up. We have to know how to handle this. Um, the Apostle Paul was in prison, <clears throat> and um, he was sent to Rome. He was in uh, Phil, or Caesarea, and he was being sent to Rome. And he got in that storm, remember? And in that storm, it looked like everything was lost. And in the middle of that, the Lord, knowing his need, came to him and said, hey, you're going to make it because you have, you're going to, you testified there, you're going to testify in Rome also. I'm going to get you there. He came and did that. There was another time in Paul's life, it's a really sad part, in 2 Timothy describes it when he is brought before Caesar and when he finally gets to Caesar, nobody came. He had to stand there all by himself. Talk about a lonely place. You're in front of all those people who dislike God and not one brother was with him. But he said this, nevertheless, and that's no problem, the Lord stood beside me. And he gives the indication that at that point, this wasn't just an act of faith on Paul's part, that the Lord somehow communicated his presence to him to strengthen him to complete the work which he brought him all the way to Rome to do, to testify to Caesar, the authority of this world, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he would do. All right. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. Now, that was later. It was a second imprisonment, but nevertheless, same thing. Okay, in your life there are times when the Lord will manifest himself to you, I can guarantee it, in the sense that he will strengthen you, you will know he is there. You're going to need it, but that's not very common. It's not very common. It didn't happen commonly for Paul. In between, what do we have to count on? We have to count on the fact that when I entrusted my life to God at the very beginning, he took it, and the one who is Lord of all happens to be with me. That as I get up here to speak tonight, Jesus Christ himself is here. Right? And all the things which could cause me concern are of absolutely no concern to him. 
all the things of inability that I could face, and I do. How do you, who's sufficient for these things? Who has the capacity to make the truth clear? Who has the capacity to reach into a heart and say, this is where you've got to go? The Lord does. The Lord does. Right? So in every sense, but it's also the same thing with regards to whole life. Is is the country in trouble? Yes, but Jesus Christ is Lord, not the government of the United States. Is the society going to pot? Yeah, it's going to pot literally and physically, or literally and and uh, and. But anyway, it's it's falling apart. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and nothing is going to happen to me that He doesn't direct. Not only allow, but doesn't direct. He's not just sitting back and saying, I'll let them do this, I'll let them do this. He directs it. He takes care of my life. He takes care of your life. I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about personalize this. It's you. You are a sheep of his pasture. You are one whose name he knows. He loved you and went to a cross for you. That's what Paul says about his own thing. He loved me and gave himself for me. He loved you, but he didn't give up then and then see what happens. He's, he's with you every step of the way. The life of faith depends on a confidence on that. And so we have this, this feature. Now we've got to, <clears throat> let's go back to the passage. I knew this was going to happen here. We're going way too long. All right. Don't be anxious for anything. What are you going to do about it? What's the act of faith? Pray about it. It's not just that I know that Jesus Christ is Lord, but pray about it. It's such a it's a simple life that hey, this is where the anxiety is. This is what to pray about. What do you pray about? What's on your heart? You put it into His hands, right? And we won't go through how you pray. You read that through there, but He tells you pray with thanksgiving, but put it in His hands. It talks about reverent, but it talks about specific prayer too. Talks about the thing. Is it your family member? Is it your business? Is it this? Is it your health? Is it whatever? You're putting it in his hand. Don't be anxious about it. Don't let that distract you from reality. Put it in his hands because he is Lord. He's Lord. Now, I'm only going to get about halfway through the, the verses, but I, I want to finish up there. Then what's he say? And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will mount guard over your heart. Now that's his promise. What's my part in it? My part's to trust him. How do I trust him? All right, this is what we got to get. He's Lord. How do I trust him? I show forbearance to other people. I remember that he's coming. I also commit to him the things that are on my heart. I put them in his hands. I don't sit there and just think about them. I put them in his hands. All right. If I do my part there, his promise is to me that I, he will, cause a peace which cannot be comprehended to hold my soul, to keep it, right? No matter how nervous I am by nature. Now, he can do that. Challenge is whether am I going to trust him for that? And he has to teach me how to trust him for that. He has to teach me that. What's the answer to the fear? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And then if you've entrusted yourself to him, the second part of that is what? Jesus Christ is your Lord. You are the sheep, and nobody can tear you out of that. Nobody can disturb that. I will be on this earth until he is finished. And no matter how I leave, it will not be at anything else's command. It will be at his command because I am his. That's the confidence that we have to have as we approach life. First problem, fear. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's our privilege to take hold of that in prayer. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come and we entrust ourselves to you. So much we could say, but we're coming and asking you by your spirit to say it to us. Take us where we need to go. That we might know the confidence and, and we might know the peace that you spoke to us to give us. We thank you tonight that you have overcome this world. It, it, the victory is already finished. And that we have the privilege to live every day to see your kingdom come in people's lives. Enable us to lift up our hearts, lift up our mind, and see you high and lifted up and to serve you. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.